0: Mind Sensei Podcast. Welcome to the Mind Sensei Podcast, the ultimate destination for insightful conversations with extraordinary individuals who have mastered the art of the mind. In today's two part episode, we have the honor of hosting tenth degree Senior Master Mohammed Tabatabai, a true legend in the world of martial arts. Senior Master Muhammad Tabatabai is renowned for his unparalleled experience in American Kempo and his groundbreaking contributions to the martial arts community. With an impressive journey spanning several decades, he has dedicated his life to honing the skills and passing on his knowledge to future generations. Having worked closely with Senior Grandmaster Ed Parker, the founder on American Kempo, Senior Master Tabatabai brings a wealth of wisdom and experience to the table, his close relationship. And involvement with the West LA School have shaped his understanding of martial arts and inspired his own unique approach to training. Based in West Los Angeles, Senior Master Tabatabai continues to impact the lives of countless students. His passion for teaching, his dedication and development of his students make him a true beacon of inspiration for the martial arts community. During our interview, we'll delve into Senior Master Tabatabai's extraordinary life and journey, exploring the challenges he's faced, the lessons he's learned, and the milestones he's achieved. We will also discuss the innovative American Kenpo Jiu-Jitsu system, a groundbreaking fusion of two powerful martial art disciplines. To further enhance your understanding and training, Senior Master Tabatabai has established a virtual academy and website dedicated to American Kenpo Jiu-Jitsu. You can find more information at wwwamericancempojiu where you can access a wealth of resources and training materials. We extend our deepest gratitude to Senior Master Muhammad Tabatabai for his time and willingness to share his remarkable journey with us. So join us in captivating a two-part series episode as we uncover the insights and inspirations that have shaped the life of an esteemed martial arts master.
1: Thank you, Mr. Muhammad Tabatabai for coming on the Mind Sensei podcast today and um, sharing some of your your story and journey with us so thank you sir for coming
2: yeah i just also wanted to say hello to my good friend peter taz from australia it's uh, good to see you buddy it's been a while but uh, it's good to see you and have a uh, chit chat
1: it's great yeah i think we need to definitely catch up again now that all things are good and the world's coming back to normal yeah yeah Tell us a little bit about yourself, Mr. Tabatabai, how you got started, what your journey was, where it led you. Yeah, just give us a little bit of insight into your, into your story.
2: Well, my name is Mohammed Tabatabai. Originally, I'm from Iran. When I was 15 years old, back in 1977, I came to the United States and then a couple of years later, studying martial arts. Started studying American Kempo at the uh, uh, Mr. Parker's West LA School. And been doing it ever since, among other things.
1: So who was running yeah. the West l a School at that stage when you joined?
2: At that time, at that time, the senior instructor was uh, Larry Tatum. At the same time, there were a whole bunch of other brown and black belts that uh, you know just get together and go over material. people like John Corrigan, Lex Sensenbrenner. Lex Sensenbrenner has been one of my senior instructors. A whole bunch of other people to name a few. There was, uh, let's see, I said Johnny Corrigan, a friend of mine, Nasser, uh, you know, was, was there that he started a little bit before me. So we used to all get together and a group of us just train. I was training every day.
1: Yeah, that's great times yeah. training every day. Are they still, yeah. are you still training with any of them or you get together with them still to this day?
2: I, I see some of them. I see uh, here and there, uh, I, you know, people like Lex ensign Brunner. Yeah, I, I've seen them throughout the years. Uh, uh, Lex, uh, Frank Trejo, uh, rest in peace. People like Brian Hawkins, uh, Jeff Speakman, Scott Poggins, A whole bunch of guys from that time. Masood Salehi, a good friend of mine. Yeah, a group of people that, you know, came from the West LA School here and there. You know, I see them.
1: So, uh, how long were you at the West School? What did you get uh, your black belt there? Okay, and you got your black yeah, belt there?
2: That, until, yeah, until until uh, nineteen ninety. I was there. I was a senior instructor because uh, uh, Larry Tatum left in eighty eight, and then uh, after Lay, I was the highest ranking instructor there. At that time, I was fourth down, and so I was there until uh, nineteen ninety, like May of ninety, five six months before Mister Parker passed. I uh, went ahead and opened up my own school. It was a it was a great day. You know, I had the school all ready and everything. Mr. Parker came down. I'm sure you've seen those silver plaques, uh, like the international members. You know, he's like, Mohammed, get me a nail and a hammer, put it right there. And then he put it up and blessed the school. I opened up my school. That was uh, May of 1990. And then later on, December 15, Mr. Parker passed.
1: So so what was your school called when your first school you opened up?
2: Woodland Hills, Kempo Karate.
1: Okay, it still, was
2: in the city of Woodland Hills, yeah.
1: Still called Woodland Hills was, to this uh, date?
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, even uh, my uh, email still is uh, whkempo at gmail, which uh, stands for Woodland Hills Kempo. Okay. I had the school for 32 years.
1: Nice, nice. It was, uh, yeah. it was a great journey having a school and meeting all different people and students. Now, tell us a bit about how you met Mr. Parker and where that journey took you.
2: Well, training at his school. A couple other arts that, that you know, at that time, it, there were like three, four schools in the uh, West LA area. Like, Heel Cho was teaching Taekwondo, you had Bang Su Han teaching Hapkido. Uh, I was another gentleman that was teaching uh, Kung Fu. friend of mine, Nasser, that was, we were going to the same high school. And he's like, yeah, I studied at this place at Parker American Campos. I I went and checked it out. I said, these guys doing techniques. And uh, I said, man, this stuff looks cool. You know, I want to get busy. So it was next day, you know, get your gig, get that, start that introductory lesson. And that was it. I start training a couple of months later you know I made the yellow belt that's when I start teaching and I tell you the uh, story because everybody had to put the belts on the side the knot of the belt went to the side you know ladies one side guys on the other side and I never liked that I always wanted to put the belt in the middle even as as a white belt And so every time I put it in the middle, you get some of these brown and black belts that come into the dojo. They're like, oh, Muhammad, you got to put your belt on the side. And then one day, one of the guys was saying, well, the only time you could uh, put the belt in front of you is when you're teaching. I said, oh, that's cool. So I made yellow belt. And if you see another yellow belt or a white belt on the mat coming into train or whatever, I grab him. I say, let's go over stuff. So I put the belt in the middle. So these guys go like, uh, hey, you got to put the knot on the side. I go, but sir, I'm teaching right now. I'm working with this person. I'm teaching. That's why I was told when you teach, leave it in the middle. That's when it started, you know. The only time we would go put it to the side is like, uh, you know, when, when Mr. Parker would come in to teach an advanced class, push it to the side.
1: Yeah, I think but, uh, from my yeah. rec- from my recollections, the belt knots from the front to the side was implemented by Sibok uh, Tom Kelly. I believe that was one of the things he brought to the system. Is that your recollection? Well,
2: now I know something new. That's what. All right, there you go. Okay, yeah. So wow. my, Tom Kelly brought that. Yeah,
1: okay. yeah. He introduced that. Apparently, that's what. That's that's my information. I don't know how correct it is. After travelling for many many years and meeting people and talking to people, that's what I've been told from a few people. So yeah. Um, yeah,
2: I guess when they were trying to put some schools, like franchise schools together, they were putting some rules and regulations, and they were going uh, ladies one side, guys to the other side, and then, uh, you know, when you become black belt or whatever, you're instructor, you put it in the middle. I started as a yellow belt. By the time I was blue belt, I was teaching adult classes.
1: Yeah, I think it was uh, ladies to the left, men to the right, and... um so yeah. it was on the was on the strong side for the ladies where the heart was. That's why it was to the left. So that's where your heart is closer to your left side than your right. They were the strongest sex that Mr. Parker used to say than the men. And then uh, at my school, we would let them. I think the other thing was you could put it in the middle for tournaments, seminars, photos, and gradings. So it was like a...
2: Mr. Parker always gave the advantage to the ladies. So there you go. <laughs>
1: So there you go. There's good Good that I can actually tell you something you don't know for once. It's the other way around most times. There you times. Go. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, thanks for that. <laughs> um, so tell us, when did you first meet Mr. Parker? And have you got any cool stories or great training sessions you've had with him?
2: Well, training sessions, definitely both in a class and also privately, you know, being at the academy and teaching there. Mr. Parker would come and go sometimes, you know, early afternoon, like, or maybe yeah, like around three, four, five o'clock. Sometimes you just stop by and come in and just see how, how things are going. Meet him that way and uh, talk to him. And uh, uh, also uh, then uh, when there was time that he would come in, teach a Brown and Blackbird class on a Thursday night, obviously, during that time. And then as I went up to a higher rank and especially when the change was made, Larry left the school. There was time to go train at his house. Have some meetings regarding, you know, the academy, and at the same time go over some material.
1: And do you have any memorable moments with Mr. Parker you'd, you'd like to share with the audience? Good, uh, some stories or something. Yeah, cool.
2: a few times that I've gone out to lunch and stuff with them. As you know, Mr. Parker enjoyed. Eating his food and everything. That was uh, that was some good memories. Just talk about different subjects, about different things. Tell you a story. I think that one night it was an advanced class. Uh, the advanced class was at eight o'clock. We were all waiting for Mr. Parker to show up and teach the class. So what happened? Apparently, when he was driving from uh, on the freeway, maybe he, he cut in front of somebody and pissed off somebody. But he didn't know. He didn't know about it. So. He exits off, and as soon as you exit, you go like few hundred yards, and that's when you turn into the parking lot in front of the academy. So, me and Fyodor Brown and Blackwell standing outside waiting for him to pull up. Mister Parker comes pulling up. He, as he's getting out of his car, and he's wearing his gear and he's got the belt around his neck. And this other car pulled up right behind him, and the guy got out of the car and started yelling and shouting at Mister Parker. And at the same time, he came out of the car turning and looking at him, and we're standing there looking at the guy. The guy that was yelling and shouting and all pissed off. He kind of paused for a couple of seconds, (laughs) got back in his car and just backed off and took off. And Mr. Parker going like, what's that all about? I go, sir, maybe you just pulled up in front of him or something. That was a uh, funny story i tell you another one. When I was color belt, like uh, blue and green, the advanced class was for brown and black belts. When the seven to eight o'clock class was done, they get every, all the color belts off the mat and out of the school, so they close the door. They start the advanced class. Me and this other guy, Masoud. Masoud is the one that, if you see my uh, VHS tapes, he's wearing the red uniform and he's dummying up for me. Great martial artist. We cut a hole. In the rice paper, that was the room next to the mats. When they start the advanced class, I look in through that hole to see what technique they were working on. So he would go over the technique, and then I go, "Oh, Masu, they're working like advanced of buckling branch." Okay, throw the kick, and then I'm doing the technique. So I was doing the technique on Masu at the same time, you know. He came around and came out, opened the front door, and he's he's going like, oh, "Mohammed, what are you guys doing? I go, so we're going over the technique. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, okay, keep it up. And he went inside, didn't say nothing. That was a good memory.
1: So your first instructor was Larry Tatum. And then was Mr. Parker your next instructor and last instructor? Is that the...
2: Well, let me, let me tell you, Lair Le- Tatum was the senior instructor at the academy. And yeah, he was the uh, main instructor at the academy and everything. But there, there were like a lot of other Brown and black bills that come and go. Like I was telling you, Lex Hansenbrenner, uh, Johnny Corrigan, Bernie Bernheim, Rick Hughes. There were like a whole bunch of guys. And it's like, you know, we just get together and train. Anytime that I was testing, when I tested, let's say for my orange belt, a week later, I already knew my material for purple. When I was testing for my purple, before I even test for my purple, I knew uh, my material for blue. So it's constantly training anybody and everybody that would come in, you know, how do you do this technique? How do you do that technique? And work on stuff, pick it up and learn and practice. One thing I like to say, there are uh, A lot of people that talk about, so go back to your question. There were like a whole bunch of people that were my instructors. Okay. Anybody that could show a move or whatever, pick it up, practice it. Then I get a higher rank to check it out and fine tune it and just keep practicing. These days, you get a lot of people that that talk about, Yeah, this person was my instructor or Mr. Parker was my instructor. And then you see him move and you see him do stuff and they go like, you're moving like that. You know, how could Mr. Parker be your instructor? It's not who is your instructor or who was your instructor. It's it's what you do with it. You know, you could have the best instructor if you're not going to pick up the material, if you're not going to train it properly, if you're not going to do it properly and have the right mindset and everything, then... It doesn't matter. You could have the best instructor. We're not going nowhere. Yeah,
1: correct. Okay. So correct. it was.
2: Uh, it, yeah. It's it's very important that whoever your instructors are, then what you do with it, and you know what direction you take it.
1: Definitely agree with that. I think I keep saying that every student and every martial arts proponent is the ambassador for that art. So when you bump yeah. into them, I used to know one of the guys when I first started training no one could talk Kempo up like him. If you wanted someone to sign up, you sent this guy over to him, gave him 10 minutes with this person and, you know, their ears were burning with Kempo and they thought it was the best thing since sliced bread. But in terms of actually performing the art, let's just say he wasn't the best proponent for it, but in terms of a verbal ambassador, he was the best. In yeah. terms of, of doing it, um, yeah, it was, it was okay, you know.
2: Yeah, exactly. Like if I was in a test, English was second language for me. So I go, Mr. Parker, I'm going to do the material. I'm going to physically do it. And if there's a problem with that, let me know. Sometimes I'm having a uh, problem uh, explaining this, you know,
0: uh,
2: you know, backup math, directional harmony, this, that. I'm just going to move and do the technique. And if you're okay with that, that's good. And he goes, uh, Mohammed, I have no problem with your tempo.
0: That's
1: good. That's good. So you get the seal of yeah. approval from Mr. Parker, which is pretty important.
2: Yeah. And there were, you know, like I said, other uh, black belts that come in we put pads on. Friday nights, there was uh, no group classes and Larry wasn't there. There was a group of us, four, five, six, seven of us that would get together, train till like 11, 12 o'clock midnight and just put, put gloves on, spar. These are the groups that some of them coming from another school, uh, BKF, and they come over and we train. And then uh, you know someone like Johnny Corgan, Lex, mainly Lex Sansom, He's a big guy, and uh, you know put pads on and trying to uh, get inside his feet and his arms. You know it was going to be hell. It's still hell. Train and get beat up and get up and continue going at it. So uh, that was the uh, that was the fun night, the uh, Friday night. we just. Boys come in and put pads on and fight.
1: You mentioned Lex Sensenbrenner quite a bit.
2: Yeah, when I started, uh, I think at one time, even maybe after Tom Kelly, he ran the Western League School. Uh, but uh, Lex, he was, he was already a uh, black belt. After uh, Mr. Parker passed, the individual I always look up to to acknowledge me as the next rank, okay, and kicked me and shake my hand. It was Lex Sensenbrenner and Frank Trejo. Even through my academy, Lex Sensenbrenner went up to a higher level if he was his seventh, eighth, and ninth. And then this uh, past year at the internationals, I had the blessing of Chuck Sullivan and Steve Muhammad. They were there. Lex went up to 10th degree. He was one of the guys that he, he was... Always there, training, and through the years, even to this day. Even though he moved out of town, he's not in Los Angeles. We still keep contact and talk on the phone.
1: Okay. So, do you have any? Um, you have a story, the Mr. Sensenbrenner, you could share with us. That
2: um... I, I tell you the best story. I opened up the school 1990 and 95. You know, where this supermarket Gelson came out and bought up the uh, whole shopping center, and they had some of the be- businesses move out because they were going to just do a major remodel. So I moved to this other n- location, and I wanted to do it during Christmas time, a couple of weeks, close down the school and make the move. We we're all talking and everything. And I said, okay, this is what I'm planning to do. So we close the schools. Anyway, I uh, go to the academy at the new location. It was like maybe 7 o'clock, 7.30 in the morning that I was just going to start preparing get the floor ready for the mats and everything. If I had to do some painting, this, that, whatever. And there comes Lex, pulls over this truck, toolbox and everything. And he brings this, I go, what are you doing? He goes, let's get busy. What do we need to do? And I go, hey, when you need somebody, then you know who your real friends are. He's just been there and he's a good friend of mine.
1: You also mentioned Mr. Trejo. Yeah, rest his soul. Do you have any interesting stories about Mr. Trejo and how you met Mr. Trejo?
2: Well, I don't know if this uh, this uh, this thing is going to be for uh, over 18 years old. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: let's try keep it clean. So Frank, let's try and keep it clean.
2: <laughs> uh, Frank is down to earth, a great martial artist, good person, you know, good heart. Obviously, at the same time that I was at the West LA school and everything, Frank was at the Pasadena school. He was one of the Pasadena schools for Mr. Parker. There were times that I got together with him, trained with him, have him go over stuff with, with me or if there was a group of us. We'd see him at the internationals every year. Back in 80, I think it was 88 or 89, that uh, we, Mr. Parkett did the last demo uh, at the internationals. And this stage, I paired up with uh, Frank Trejo and we did techniques on each other. I've traveled with him, went with Frank to, I think it was Tom LaVarco in uh, Long Island at his school, invited us one time to go teaching seminars. Frank and I, you know, we traveled together, you know, just a lot of good memories, even after Mr. Parker passed and there was, he was going through some stuff. My school, you know, I would set up classes for brown and black belts, you know, have Frank come and teach, so he gets taken care of and everything. Years of seeing each other here and there, good memories. Always had a, a lot of respect for him, and, uh, you know, he's been one of my seniors. Rest in peace.
1: Yeah, sure. Tell us a little bit about your, I you know you have your own organization. Tell us a little bit about that.
2: Back in 92, I came out, put the whole system on uh, VHS and I did 40 tapes that cover the uh, entire like uh, American Kempo uh, material as far as all the forms and sets and techniques and advanced techniques and weapons and this and that, as you know.
1: That was with Panther production
2: so, too. Uh, with Panther, with Panther production. And uh, uh, Joe Jennings from Panther approached me and I said, yeah, I, I want to uh, go and do the whole series. I, I did that. You know some of the uh, few individuals that did these videos, myself and uh, Larry Tatum mainly. I think it was the uh, best thing that happened worldwide for Kempo community, because prior to that, what was happening? Let's say Mr. Parker go to teach a seminar, and if he was there, a, a, his representative in whatever country, let's say. Uh, South America somewhere, you know, if there were like shorter practitioners, he'd go down there and two, three days, three, four days, give some seminars, go over some techniques, and then he'd fly back. There wasn't much that these people were getting out of it, unless if there were some individuals that, that you know, make an investment, travel, come to U.S. and get together with him and go over stuff or go to a train at one of his schools with one of the Kempo black belts or whatever these tapes I guess it, it was just a blessing for the Kempo community because now they have something to look at they were written material but written material is not going to do that much for you unless you've seen the techniques you got the timing and the movement and these written material could be like a reminder for you otherwise for somebody that's going to just learn the technique off of written material, you know, they can't get the motion and the timing and the movement and the mindset. Did those tapes and then people contacted me, and that's when the American Kempo Federation was formed. Then I, you know, I started teaching, traveling, giving seminars. I've been to maybe, I don't know, 18, 19 different countries teaching American Kempo. And then back in 2007, I started studying Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. I just saw, you know, it's it's needed in Kempo Karate. Ground techniques, ground material like Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, wrestling, judo, that stuff is uh, it's it's needed. And then uh, from American Kempo, uh, it uh, went to American Kempo Jiu Jitsu. What what I did was I studied, and then I tried to give it the same structure that's within Kempo, because Kempo Karate is a system that has structure for. Uh, teachers to teach. Uh, it makes it easier for students to learn. And, you know, you go, this is yellow belt material, orange, purple. So within American, American Kenpo Jiu-Jitsu, um, if we have yellow belt techniques, you know, I teach a Kempo technique. And then after that, I teach a, a Jiu-Jitsu technique. And then I teach kind of like how the two work. And then you go to technique number three is Kempo technique. And then four is Jiu-Jitsu technique. So it's American Kempo Pure, the way Mohamed Tabatabai does, and also Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. It's pure Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, because I've studied with the and Henner Gracie at the Torrance Academy, and I've studied with Jean-Jacques Machado. Uh, Currently, I'm training with uh, Todd Nathanson. The techniques that I teach, the Jiu-Jitsu techniques that I teach, okay, I'm sure there are individuals that could do it better, but uh, these are pure Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. It's the same thing that you see being taught at the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Academy. Nothing that I put together or off of YouTube, I trained. you know, As a ninth degree, I lined up with a white belt and started studying. Let's get busy. That's the only way you
1: got to do it. Yeah, exactly. Nothing really matters. It's like we keep saying, doesn't matter what. Well, color of the belt show don't mean, you know, as soon as you step on the mat, it's about 10 minutes before everyone figures out if that's really real around your waist or not, right?
2: Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah.
1: So you've got your own organization. You've created a website as well so people can come to to train. So tell us a little bit about that. Where can people reach you?
2: Yeah, AmericanCampoJiuJitsu.com. AmericanCampoJiuJitsu.com. And then when you go on there, there's a section for virtual academy that you could go in and log in and there's monthly fee that you pay and that you could start the, studying the techniques. I spend a lot of time learning the material and putting it together. So just like the way you see in Kempo, that techniques and forms kind of like progress. And as you learn a certain technique, then you continue to add to it. Same thing with the Jiu-Jitsu material that there are like techniques that you start learning those techniques, then you're learning... Different phases of those techniques, and then you learn some of the counters or additional moves to those techniques. So it's like build up, and it, I've given it that structure so that if you're a, a school owner, if you're a black belt, then you could go and then get a partner, learn those material, and start teaching it in a class. Okay, because I know there. are I want to say this: that if there are. Individuals that don't want to learn the ground techniques, the uh, jujitsu or wrestling or whatever, okay, then that's fine. I understand that. But is it needed? Definitely, and it, it complements our stand-up techniques. That you know, it's just you just need need to learn this stuff because if if you don't know it, then there's that void. These things are not offered in American Kempo. I've made it for those instructors because you get some of the black belts that they're the king of their dojo. And now if they wanna learn some new material, they're not they're not uh, comfortable with it. It's like, I've been doing this American Kempo for the past 20, 30 years, you know, I'm the king and I feel uh, comfortable learning something. So I made it in a way that, you know, it's structured and you could learn it on your own and start applying it in your uh, in your school and going over it with your adults and also with kids. And it could be even like an upgrade for your academy. Even if you don't want to do it yourself, you could get one of your black belts to say, okay, you're in charge of studying this. And you could say like, okay, I got a, uh, um, the, the fee for the academy is like, let's say 150 bucks a month now if you pay 175 then you get the uh, one day of this uh, kempo jiu jitsu class also so they get to learn the uh, ground stuff because with the internet and youtube and all this stuff you know people see it people see the material they see the ufc they see all kinds of stuff so you can't just it, it can not be closed anymore it's it's out there if an individual is interested your student is interested You either got to teach them or they go somewhere else to learn it. You have to move with with the time. I know there are people that sometimes talk about like uh, also your first generation at Parker's Black. I go, no, 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 no generation. I'm no first, second or third. I don't want to be dealing with that generation. That doesn't do me any good. I want to be with the future generation. If I'm an instructor, a high-ranking instructor, then my responsibility is put them in a uh, right direction and say okay this is what we need to do now you gotta do some muay thai you gotta kickbox you gotta do kempo. you gotta do some you know jujitsu just to put him in the right direction that's what's happening
1: definitely agree i think if mr parker was still around there'd be a lot more of that involved in the
0: system
2: yeah you know they, they, they go they go mr parker was it like a judo black belt judo black belt great but within american kempo, we didn't see that much of like Let's say what you'd see in judo, grabbing, throwing, sweeping, this, that. And we definitely didn't see any of like Brazilian jiu-jitsu techniques. Okay. And you can't go with and then try and like pick up techniques and try and off of YouTube or somewhere else and try and just put it in your system. Okay. If you're a head instructor or whatever, you got to study it on a white belt, you got to get on the mat, and you got to get busy, and you got to learn the system so you could teach that, okay? So that's what I've been trying to do.
1: So tell us a little bit about And that, having yeah. a lot
2: of fun doing it.
1: Yes, correct. Tell us a little bit about your story. I know you've mentioned it to me before. You decided that you need to study a bit of grappling and stuff. So I know it's pretty humbling as a ninth degree to... Take your belt off and walk into another studio, stick a white belt on and, uh, and just learn as a beginner again. Can you tell us a little bit about that story?
2: Yeah, as a kid, back in Iran, I did some wrestling. You know, so with some of this stuff, I was familiar with some things. And then training in front of mine that has an academy in the same area, then there was a jiu-jitsu black belt that would come down there and do some teaching on Friday morning. So just for some of the few black belts from different styles, I was Kempo, another guy was Hapkido or whatever. We get together and he come and uh, take us through techniques. Then I said, okay, now I got to get busy and start uh, studying it, going to a jiu-jitsu academy, you know, go to the group classes. I went down to Orion Gracie's school. Uh, in Torrance and his two older sons, a uh, Hiron and Henner Gracie, they were uh, running the academy and teaching the classes and everything. So I went there, you know, talked to Henner and, and you know, my background doing kempo and everything. So we did like a, a one-on-one lesson going over some stuff and he got on top and mounted me, you know, and he's like, okay, let's say, uh, what would you do to get out of this situation? And it was like, okay, this is hell. You can't, you can't get out of this thing. It's, it's like you're a good runner. You can run fast, but now they throw you in a swimming pool and you don't know how to swim. I go, all right. And then he started going over some techniques and I go, okay, I can understand the concepts, the principles, the motion, the movements, but it's totally a different game and you got to get busy. So uh, I said, okay, let's get started put a gi on, white gi, put a white belt on and I start training. I would, the drive was like 30 miles away from me and I would go like to three, four classes a week. I go to a morning class and then go back home and then go back late evening class and sometimes they had a class a couple of times a week like uh, that started at seven in the morning. You know, I drive down there and go into that class. I've, I've, Paid my dues driving, you know, physically, mentally, financially, training and going and learning the material and picking up the material and give it that structure and write it down, go over stuff, start teaching at at my own school, because to get better at it, you got to turn around and teach it. That's when I started developing, working on American Kempo Jiu Jitsu. That's where you see uh, this logo.
1: Okay. Tell us a little bit about your logo.
2: Okay. Yeah, this is my own design that I came up with it. You see the universal pattern. And then you see the uh, triangle or the G for Gracie. And you see the triangle for uh, Jiu-Jitsu. I designed that as being part of it. Name goes on top of it because I'm the big cheese. And then you got the American Kenpo Jiu-Jitsu at the bottom. Right now, when I teach, I teach. Jiu-jitsu techniques, I teach a Kempo techniques, put pads on and uh, boxing gloves and kickbox and hit the bag and then fight each other. And then let's go five minute round and roll, roll for five minutes and then take a break, switch partners and roll. And that's what I do. The forms and sets are important, but the, to be realistic is like if you got a student that's coming to you twice a week, And every time they're coming for a class, that's hour, hour and a half. Then you wanna see like, okay, what is the uh, best thing that I, something that's most practical that I could work with this individual. We gotta work fundamentals. We gotta work strength, kicking and punching the bag and everything. We got to move around and we got to roll and we got to go over jujitsu techniques. We got to go over Keppel techniques and work some of those stuff. If you have time or if you have an individual that's like, that's taking privates from you or spending a lot more time or pick things up so fast, then you could start going through some of those forms. But if there's priority, then, you know, I say, okay, this is the stuff that we need to work on more Then some of the stuff becomes secondary.
0: Yeah, I understand. That's what it's all about.
1: With your incorporation of jiu-jitsu into your system, so American Kenpo Jiu-Jitsu, how is a class structured? Do you teach a Kenpo technique and you teach a ground technique, then you teach the inter- technique intersection between the two, or is there a jiu-jitsu finish yeah. to a Kenpo technique or vice, uh, vice versa? Can you look, tell us about that?
2: Either way, sometimes you know I have the guys train and I get the one person that's wearing your gloves. And then the other person, nothing. And he was, he's just supposed to be a defender. So I get the guy that's wearing the gloves, start attacking, kicking, punching. And the other person is supposed to defend and check and control. And if it goes to the ground, the person with gloves and everything, he could continue to kick and punch and everything. But the other person, no kicking, no punching back. And he could just... Try and control this person. Go to the ground, take him down, and try and get a superior position. Whether he's going to mount position, side mount, or if he's at the bottom, pull guard and try and control this person. And the other guy just continue to kick and punch and do whatever they like to do as far as striking. So control, get a superior position, and then try and go then uh, see if you could finish this guy, uh, submit him, if it's armbar, knee bar, choke hold, this, that, whatever. This is some of the training, but yeah, at the same time, yeah, we do go over jujitsu techniques and practice it. We do go over Kempo techniques, practice it, and there are different variations of fighting that whether we're just going to roll or whether they just put gloves on and kickbox, do uh, some of that stuff. So that's how the classes are st- structured.
1: Okay. So at each belt level, you have requirements for the jujitsu as well as the kenpo in the program. Is that right? Yes. Because I know jujitsu, yes. is not, and you not- know,
2: kempo, and also even jujitsu, it's not a easy system to teach. As far as the amount of material, They're like we've been doing kempo for so many years, a lot of material, all those techniques. Sometimes you get individuals they're wearing high ranking belts, uh, third and fourth and fifth degree, or you see them that. They've seen all these techniques. They could do a little bit of this and that, and you know, but they're not so strong with the with all the material. So sometimes you need to maybe go over less to get them strong with that stuff, especially fundamentals, especially hitting the back, kicking, punching, getting strength behind that, and get the guy to uh, you know move around and kick and punch and hit each other and roll and stuff like that, and then throw techniques here and there and get them to work these techniques. Obviously, if you got the individuals that are going to stay with it, then through the years, they're going to pick up the material. And if not, have a nice day.
1: So have you got any stories where you've had to use your skill outside the dojo in a situation where you could share with there, us? There's,
2: there's been a few times on my uh, younger days, these days, I guess you just learn to not to put yourself in a situation or trying to just talk your way out and just walk away from it and not get into a situation. Because a couple of things are going to happen. Over a stupid thing, you could gonna you could go ahead and get beat up. I don't care who you are. You could get beat up. Let's say, uh, I don't know, broken jaw, lose an eye, this, that, busted leg or whatever. And then when you think about it the next day, it's not worth it or if you're going to mess up the guy bad because sometimes you start something and you know once you turn the switch on and you go crazy sometimes it's hard to turn it off right away so by the time you go through some stuff and you get done and you go like okay what happened so then it could be more more problem as far as dealing with the law and so you try on my younger days yeah there's been uh, situations that you know uh, got into it most of the time came out i was fine and i was good and there are times that, that the next day you go oh man yes i get hit to the ear and my ear is hurting and you know just go through some of those uh, pain and bruises and uh, you know
1: yeah yeah
2: it comes with the territory <laughs> so
1: did you find because your martial arts training you're in a situation you're able to diffuse it without a big altercation
2: uh, yeah, and then if I had to get into it, you know, stay with your basic fundamentals. You know, always a, a step off and a nice heel pump to the base of the jaw does magic. Just some basic stuff. You gotta grab somebody's head and smack it against the car or something. You know that worked nicely. Just gotta get, <laughs> just gotta get creative. <laughs> hey, that's that's uh, that's yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's tempo. Correct. That's Correct. advanced kempo. Correct. Yes. You know. Yeah. Um, even when I teach uh, some of the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu techniques, I mean, these techniques are nasty, just like Kempo techniques. Once you get behind a uh, certain point in the technique, then the, the other person can't even counter you. Even with some of the Jiu-Jitsu technique, because you have a uh, mindset of Kempo motion, also your arms going through to get to a certain place, then you learn that, oh, okay, While I'm getting to point A to B in between, I could run an elbow or a forearm and, you know, cause some damage getting to the next point. So, and those are all the feedbacks or knowledge that comes up subconsciously, comes out from Kempo. And, oh, this is good. It's good stuff.
1: (laughs) So if you you were giving advice to someone starting in martial arts, what would be your advice to them, to
0: someone looking to start out?
2: You got to love what you're doing. You got to love what you're doing. The main thing is if there's any particular style, then you got to see in your neighborhood somewhere that's close by because you want to go train two, three times a week at least. You want to make it easier for yourself to be able to drive two, three times and go. And then the next thing is like you go to that academy and look and see who's the uh, main instructor because sometimes the system is a good system that you want to study, but you got a jerk that's uh, is the head instructor. So it just trickled down to all the other uh, students and everything. So you want to go there and you see there's a yeah, good school, there's good energy, the head instructor, you know, it's somebody that's knowledgeable, but nice home because it's going to be your, your second home. So you want to Go somewhere that you feel comfortable, that you could learn and progress. And the other thing, you just got to be consistent. You got to get consistent. We know it. Get busy. If if you set your long-term goals, that's fine, but have some short-term goals that you know. That's why we see these stripes on the belt, different color belts, even for adults, even when we say, like mainly is for kids. Hey. I was a ninth-degree black belt in Kempo, but when I was wearing my white belt in the, in the uh, uh, jiu-jitsu class, I got my first stripe on my white belt. It's like, okay, that's good. It feels good. Achievement. Achievement is always good, you know, progress. Correct, and yeah. So, yeah, love it and stay consistent.
1: If you had to impart some wisdom to our listeners in their journey, what what would that Do you have a saying or a mantra that you live by?
2: If you're an instructor, as an instructor, uh, don't hold any knowledge back. Make sure your students, train your students to come better than you. You Put them in the right direction. Like I've had people that come in and go, let's say, uh, hey, I want to study weapons. I want to study like knives, you know, sticks and stuff like that. I go, uh, yeah, within Kempo, we have some. We have introduction. But let's say... uh, you really want to get into it, then, you know, maybe you should start studying Filipino system because they let's say that's their bread and butter. You go in and, you know, you start learning the whole system. You, you shouldn't just put them in a uh, direction that just to keep them with you. Okay, this is, this is going to be, yeah, we got some stuff, but you get different system that's just made for it. Okay, and just keep an open mind, honest with yourself and your students, and try and get them in the right direction. Because these days, people see it. They see anything and everything that's happening. We used to have dojos back in the 60s and the 70s that they closed the doors and the walls and, and or the uh, windows were all covered and everything so nobody could see inside. It's kind of a secret what's happening in there. It's not like that anymore. Everything is uh, wide open and all material techniques from any art out there on YouTube from different peoples. That's what you need to do.
1: Make sure you don't hold anything back as an instructor. Is that your...
2: Yeah. 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 Like I was telling you, I traveled to like, you know, almost 20 different countries from Central South America. If it was, I don't know, Mexico, Chile, Venezuela, Argentina, you know, different states in US, Canada, and then go to Europe, you know, Belgium, Holland, Spain, England, Jersey, you know, Turkey, the the Romania, Russia. I was going to Russia for like five, six years in, in a row and and also being from Iran, I traveled to Iran, a number of students that, that you know, been training kempo Jiu Jits go there, they put this stuff on on videos and learn the material. And it's the best experience. You travel to these different countries and you go see the place and uh, your are you know, the local that take you to all these cool places and you make friends and you share knowledge. Uh, I remember it was just, uh, late 90s, I think. I went to Argentina, Buenos Aires, and then from there I was traveling to uh, Santiago, Chile. My guy from Argentina, from Buenos Aires, Juan José Negreira, he came with me. We went to Chile, and then on a day off, we said, "Okay, let's go to this uh, big mall." It was, and then we go there. And he goes, "Like, let's go to this place that they sell martial arts stuff." We walked in there. He walked to the guy, said, "Like, uh, do you?". And any speaking Spanish. Do you have any videos, American Kempo? And the guy goes, "Oh, sure, sure, I could see." Going, "Sure, sure, let me show you." And he takes him there, and then he goes, uh, "Yeah, these." Uh, Tapes are uh, uh, Maestro Mohammed Tabataba. And, 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 and he goes like, this one, it's uh, like a uh, first copy or like a brand new. is like, let's say $20. This one is like a copy of a copy. It's 15 This one is a copy of a copy of a copy. It's $10, you know. And I'm standing in the back. And at the same time, he's showing it you know, he keeps like looking up and looking at me and then talks to Juan and then he keeps looking at me and then he goes, after a few minutes, he goes, uh, Maestro Muhammad
0: Tabatabai.
2: And I wanted to say, yes, bastard, where is my cut? <laughs> where is my commission on my tapes? But, uh, you know, because when I did the tape, the hair is a little bit longer, I had a mustache and then my hair was shorter, no mustache so he didn't recognize me right away. But that was a, uh, that was a uh, funny story. And after he realized that uh, he gave me a nice uh, butterfly knife, a belly song, uh, as a gift. And I go, <laughs> all right. So, uh, uh,
1: good yeah. story. Yeah. So he's selling pirate tapes, and you're standing there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: Copies of copy, copies of the copy of the copy. And I go, oh, man, you know, I could send you the original. You know, let's just work together. The, uh, the main thing, it was just a, a good tool for people to study it all over.
0: And that's a wrap for today's episode of the Mind Sensei podcast. And there you have it, dear listeners, the first part of our exhilarating interview with legendary 10th degree grandmaster Mohammed Tabatabai. We hope you've enjoyed this captivating glimpse into his extraordinary journey in American Kenpo and the groundbreaking American Kempo Jiu-Jitsu system. But hold on tight, because this is just the beginning of a two-part saga, and we leave you craving for more. In an upcoming second part, we get ready to be enthralled as Master Tabatabai takes us on a thrilling ride through his encounters with the glamorous world of celebrities in Los Angeles. Eva wondered what it'd be like to train with the Hollywood stars in the art of self-defense, curious about stories and anecdotes he has from his interactions with renowned people. Join us for an unforgettable continuation of Master Thubba journey as he shares his experiences and insights into the fascinating world of martial arts and celebrity culture. This is an episode you simply cannot afford to miss. And before we sign off, we want to express our deepest gratitude to Master Thubba for his generosity in sharing his remarkable life with us. His passion, dedication and innovation continue to inspire martial artists around the globe. So mark your calendar, set those reminders, and make sure you tune in to Episode 2 of the Sense 8 Podcast. It's going to be an extraordinary adventure that will leave you hungry for more. Until then, keep the martial arts spirit alive and embrace the journey of self-improvement. Thank you for joining us and we'll see you on our next episode. I'm your host Peter Taz and you've tuned in to the Mind 8
1: Podcast from Down Under. We want to take a moment to thank all our listeners for tuning in to the Mind Sensei podcast. We appreciate your support and hope our show has been both informative and entertaining for you. If you haven't already done so, we would like to invite you to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. By subscribing, you'll be the first to know when we release new content and you'll have access to all of our past episodes. We also encourage you to visit our website at MindSensei.au where you can find additional resources related to martial arts. On our site, you can read blog posts, videos, and learn more about the guests we feature on our show. Finally, we'd like to thank our guests for sharing their knowledge and experience with us. Without their
0: generosity, this podcast would not be possible. Thank you again for listening to the Mind Sensei Podcast Down Under. We hope that you continue to join us on this journey through the world of martial arts.